For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration for leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning. This is Kate. Thank you for tuning in to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. This is our 12th show. Would you like to continue to access great leaders by listening to the show each week? Please email us at visionaryleader at nebocompany.com to let us know how you like what you've been hearing in our premiere series of 13 shows. We are in the planning process for the next series, and I'd love to hear your feedback. Do you want to hear more about how you can create your own vision? Would you like to look into the future and hear the visions of futurists who've got perspectives that we don't easily access every day? Uh, tell us what you'd like to hear. You know, a substantial number of our nation's schools are in poor or dangerous conditions. They harbor unhealthy levels of dust and mold, making the air unfit to breathe. With 20% of our country in school, that's 20%, Rachel Gutter recognized a need for making schools healthier and higher performing while saving energy and taxpayer dollars. That sounds good, doesn't it? Rachel brought this idea to the forefront of today's education discussion, and she aims to have green schools for everyone within this generation. Today, we're going to learn how her work through the U.S. Green Building Council's Center for Green Schools is driving improvements in the lives of children, teachers, administrators, and families around the country, and educating a new generation of sustainability natives, students who are fluent in the language of green simultaneously. Rachel's a visionary leader, making a tangible difference every single day. Welcome, Rachel, to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. Thank you, Kate. Thank you for having me this morning. Well, it's a pleasure. And I understand that the Center for Green Schools was established in 2010 to serve as a driver for the Green Schools movement. And this um, intention of the Center for Green Schools is really to engage the whole community, um, including students, teachers, parents, school superintendents, elected officials, policymakers, in a national conversation about the relationship between high-performance educational facilities and high-performing students. Rachel, you were appointed to take the reins. And in a nutshell, I wondered if you could just tell us a little bit in your own words what the Center for Green Schools really does. Absolutely. Um, so you made mention of the center's mission, Kate. Um, it's a lofty and ambitious one, green schools for everyone within this generation. Uh, at the center, we believe that from the kindergartner entering the classroom for the first time to the PhD student doing research in a lab, that everybody deserves to be learning in an environment that uh, inspires um, better education to take place and maintains or even enhances their health and well-being. So at the center, um, the way that we think about our work it really has to do with equipping and deploying three different groups of people, the people who make the case, the people who make the decisions, 
and the people who get things done. And each of the categories of people that you ticked off, everything from parents to school administrators, um, typically falls into one of those categories. So the way that we go about our work has to do with making sure that um, we're serving each of those critical school stakeholders in terms of uh, giving them the resources that they need, um, the ongoing and current information that they need to have to be successful within their own communities, and then reflecting those stories back to their communities and to the broader um, education and, uh, um, and, and sustainability movements. Thank you. That's really uh, nice and clear, I think, for all of us to understand. So it's really equipping people in those three categories um, in order to help them be successful at improving their facilities and their sc- the quality of their schools. And Rachel, when we put out the call for visionary leaders to be uh, interviewed and, and, and in dialogue with me on this show, you know, you are the one person who had multiple recommendations. Um, many people, three people or more, actually recommended that you would be a person we'd want to hear from. And I'm so interested in having you tell us the story of what, how you got the job at the Center for Green Schools at the, at the U.S. Green Building Council. Um, that is one of the stories that really captured my attention when we spoke last time. So what qualified you for the job? How did you get it? So I think it's a it's very much a story about um, how I got the job, and probably less a story um, at, at least at the inception of how I was qualified. Because I think that what okay. um, what really drove me over the six months from the time that I learned about the position to the time that I actually got it was understanding that my resume was incomplete, and those six months were really dedicated to absolutely cramming uh, as much experience and information gathering as possible into that short time. So. I guess this story begins in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, I had had a number of positions um, in the couple of years after college, most of them self-employed, um, tutoring, private tutoring, teaching community ice skating programs and religious school. Um, and I think that my, my, my parents were, I knew my parents were starting to get a little bit nervous about what the next step was for me because I started getting these care packages with books that had titles like what to do when you don't know what to do and how to <laughs> overcome your quarter life crisis. Um, and, and for me, I think I just felt as though, um, I knew I had a lot of really strong skills. I was an English major, a good writer, a good speaker, um, really hardworking and cared a lot about um, children wanting to do, make a difference in my career. But nothing was, um, n- nothing had emerged for me as a clear choice for, for my next steps. And I was looking at everything from magazine editor to, um, you know, set designer for, for um, movies. Uh, I was kind of accidentally had stumbled into a position as, um, as the, an intern in an interior architecture business and within a, the course of a couple of weeks had been promoted to the design director there. And one day I was sitting in the office with the woman who um, owned the business and we got an email that said last chance to register for Green Build um, Conference and Expo. And that's USGBC's annual conference that brings anywhere between um, 23 and 33,000 people together every year. That year it was in Denver, which, of course, is pretty close to New Mexico. And I said, why aren't we going to this? And she was like, yeah, I think we should go to that. So we, we packed up her husband's um, truck. We filled it with bricks because apparently that's what you do when you have to drive through a blizzard on the front range. And when we got to Colorado, um, when we got to the conference at Denver, I, I picked up um, a, a conference program. 
And um, in the program, it had all of this information about about green schools and this rating system that USGBC was about to launch for green school buildings called Lead for Schools. And that was it. I called my mom. I said, I know what I want to do with my life. You can stop worrying. Uh, I went and, and introduced myself to a woman who at the time was running the program. I said, my name is Rachel Gutter. I want to work for you. And then as I continued to... Um, quote-unquote, accidentally bump into her throughout the rest of the conference, she eventually confessed to me that she was leaving to go to grad school. And so it became, okay, so my name is Rachel. I want your job. And like I wow. said, I spent the next six months um, cramming my resume, doing um, reading the lead uh, for new construction reference guide, which is probably about 500 pages, cover to cover twice, and um, flying across the country to take a a workshop um, to really get an understanding of the guts of the rating system. I drove cross-country, moved my life um, back to the Washington, D.C. area after about six years. I drove um, cross-country in all of three days by myself, Took moved back in with my parents, which I didn't think I would ever do, took an unpaid internship, blew through my life savings um, while working for free for this school district and their green building program, took a job in green building consulting briefly, and um, and by the time that position opened up um, and was made available to me, I had gone from not having much of a resume at all that would speak to what the, they were looking for in a candidate to um, being the kind of candidate that they that they really couldn't resist. So I've been at USGBC now for the past four and a half years. It was a it was a an, a, an intense six months, but I think it paid off pretty well. Wow, that is quite a story. And just listening to you add some details like the blizzard with the bricks and the truck and the almost um, spontaneous or, or, or coincidental nature of even attending that conference to begin with. And then when you got there and you read that brochure and you heard about the Leads for Schools, what was it that really spoke to you about Leads for Schools? What, how did you know that that was it for you? I mean... You know, it's it's. I, I, you hear people talk about this a lot in terms of personal relationships. Um, when you have that moment, and 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 everything just clicks. Um, and and for me, this moment professionally was was equally sort of um, uh, was was just equally clear. You know, there was a kind of clarity that that settled in that said, this is kind of at the intersection of the things that I care about the most. Um, I, I, first and foremost, I had always wanted to have a career where I would be able to focus on children and their health and education, um, but unlike my little sister, did not necessarily feel like my calling was to be a teacher. Um, I um, grew up with um, an environmental lawyer for a father um, with an EPA, you know, decal on my be- my bedroom window from the time I was like two years old. Um, and so the environment had always been an important part of, of the conversation. Um, but I think most of all what I saw in um, not Lead for Schools but in USGBC was an organization that was experiencing rapid amounts of growth due to a kind of unprecedented success for nonprofits where there were going to be ample opportunities for me to really um, exercise all of all of my skills where, where I would um, – as one of my good friends says, says um, be able to uh, live up to my highest, best value, whether it was through public speaking, um, through, you know, the design of a campaign from beginning to end, um, or, or, or even from a technical 
um, perspective when it came to understanding the nuts and bolts of how a school gets designed, built, and operated. You know, as you describe that, that click, that clarity that you felt, it reminds me of um, my own life when I was um, not yet a leadership coach and was on an airplane, happened to read or pick up a Fortune magazine that had as its cover story this blonde coach on a boat and it was I think the year was 2000 and the article was about uh, this whole new profession called coaching and at the minute I looked at that cover story and I swear it was not the boat (laughs) which she was (laughs) living her dreams on but it was the position the profession I I knew in that same way you were just describing that this was my future path that this was the work that would bring together um you know, everything I knew, everything I cared about, and everything I wanted to contribute, you know, so I, I really love that you've given us that story of that um, ali- that moment of clarity. I think sometimes people feel that, but they don't, they don't necessarily know that that's an imperative to act, and that that's yeah. an opening, I would call well, it. Well, I, I think also, um, while, while I'll talk about that moment of, of, of clarity, what I think it's important to also emphasize is how completely unclear it was to me until that moment. Um, and I think kind of wandering with the lack of, um, you know, with, with the lack of definition without necessarily a clear plan um, or direction is, is, is okay. Um, and, and something that I had the, the luxury of, um, you know, of, of, of doing, I didn't have a, a, a family. I wasn't a homeowner, um, but I think it, it nonetheless, um, though, though I had fewer obligations than I think a lot of people who are trying to find that thing that clicks for them, um, I, I still think it required some some courage um, to you know to, to not to not do um, uh, to, to not go down the most likely paths, which didn't necessarily feel to me to be the right path. So I think that that's part of what I hope people take from the story is less about you know how will I know. Um, when that moment takes place and more about um, how can I get comfortable with or give myself permission to really spend some time um, just living with a lack of clarity as I kind of plow through what my my options are. Yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. And I I want to also point out for those listening to the story that once you felt it, there was still quite a lot of work to do to become qualified (laughs) and you did that, you know, and and I did the same in my story. So there's, there's the, the moment of, of, of not knowing, or there's the many moments of not knowing, then there's the moment of knowing, and then there's the preparing so that you're actually the right person at the right time. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into the vision you've been working on. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. talking business talk to an expert call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network think of the world 50 years ago now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. This is Kate. My guest today is U.S. Green Building Council's Rachel Gutter, who heads the Center for Green Schools. We're talking about... Raising a whole new generation of environmental stewards and making sure our current schools are safer, healthier, and, of course, greener. Um, but before we have gotten into that, we've been actually talking about Rachel and how she found this career path. She was telling us the fascinating story of how she found her groove, so to speak, um, before we took the break. And I want to ask you, Rachel, uh, tell us about the four years you've just had. Give us a glimpse of what this job has become from the moment that you actually were hired to head it up to today? What kinds of things have you been doing? Um, it is a, a, a super wide range, which is part of the reason why I think this job is such a, a perfect fit for me, something of a Renaissance woman. Um, my job started out being very technical. I was responsible for um, overseeing the launch of Lead for Schools, which is um, a, a rating system that essentially functions kind of like a report card for a school building to help you to understand how that building is performing in terms of energy, water, um, materials and resources, even acoustics. So when I started at USGBC, a lot of my time was spent as the one-man show that I was doing work related to schools. Um, dealing with very, very technical and intricate challenges, like why was the STC requirement for the acoustics prerequisite um, too stringent for a school in a rural area to be able to complete? I mean, it was at that kind of level of, of, of detail. But I think what happened um, in the first couple of months that I was at USGBC is that USGBC leadership was starting to understand that the green schools conversation was was and needed to be more than a, a rating system, that it was an opportunity to open up a dialogue with everyone and anyone. Because when you think about it, you know, everyone who pays their taxes is a, is a school stakeholder. And if they're not paying taxes, then they're probably in school. So um, ho- hopefully. Um, so, so we see green schools as kind of a wedge, right? For instance, um, you know, we, we helped to establish the Congressional Green Schools Caucus um, on the Hill. We could have chosen to um, really help to start a green building caucus, but schools were a universal value, right? Everybody wants their kids to be healthy, and 
um, high performing. It's a it's a, a bipartisan value. It's a value that's shared um, by you know anyone within AmeriCorps or even across the globe. So in 2007. Um, right around the time when we were launching Lead for Schools, we also launched the National Green Schools Campaign. And that was the first time that we ever advanced this vision of green schools uh, for everyone within this generation. And that opened up uh, an amazing dialogue across many different types of decision makers and advocates. And so the work that we did was everything from, and this was as I started to, to, to build a team, I, I had more help. So I went from one-man show to uh, 12-man show. Um, we, we were looking at everything from how we could be working with college and university students on campus through our USGBC students program to get them to really be the champions um, for change in a, in a higher education environment, to working with um, state legislators who are forming green school caucuses across the country to advocate for green school policy and really work at the, the, the state level on education um, for communities, to working with our national partners like um, the PTA or the teachers unions, um, AFT and NEA, or, um, you know, even the, the um, uh, you know, facilities planners or, or um, state school officers. So, the work is pretty broad. Um, we do a, a good deal of work with, with policymakers. Um, I get to meet and spend time with many elected and appointed officials, um, but I also get to do really, really fun things that give me my energy, like, um, you know, tour green schools with, with a third grader who's educating me on geothermal fields or, Wonderful. Um, you know, how, how materials... Uh, were recycled into their desktops. Got it. You know, in the four years you've been in the job, I think you told me you've traveled to 25 states and visited hundreds of schools and campuses. And you've told me that you probably have visited more green schools than anybody in the United States. What do you see out there? I said I might have, just in case anybody on the line thinks that they <laughs> I wanna, said probably. That they want to challenge that. Um, but, I mean, what I see is is both inspiring and heartbreaking um, when I have the opportunity to go to these new green schools, I just collect these stories about, you know, um, students who at their old school needed their inhaler three times a day and at their new school haven't needed it once, or the teachers in DeKalb County, Georgia, who used to suffer from the 2.30 headache, which was this term that they had coined for how sick the building made them um, after being in it, for, you know, for a full day of school. Um, and, you know, I, I see students who truly are embodying this, this um, archetype of a sustainability native, students who are fluent in, in the language of green, who intuitively make decisions to use what they need, not what they can. That is so inspiring. Um, but I'm also learning a lot about just how dire um, a lot of the schools in this country are, just how abysmal the learning conditions are. Um, and the extent to which those are, um, not only are they not enhancing the learning experience, but they're truly getting in the way of a child's ability to learn. So when you say that, when we talk about the high-performance facilities creating high-performance students, um, that sort of seems like a logical equation. Tell me a little bit more about how a poor facility interferes with academic success. Right. 
you know, it's amazing. We recently did um, a series of, of focus groups with parents um, to try to understand the way that they think about education and specifically what their thoughts are on the building's impact on um, the education of their children. And what was amazing was that by, um, across the board, what we heard was that there that parents aren't making that connection, that they don't think about the school facility as being in any way related to their child's educational experience. Um, so I'll give you a couple of, of examples of where the facility gets in the way. Um, portable classrooms in particular, but other classrooms across the United States have tremendous issues with mold. Some 15,000 15, schools across the country are said to have air that's unfit to breathe. So many of those um, indoor air quality issues come down to things like mold um, or outdated systems that aren't circulating any fresh air. And when you have the increase of mold in the classroom, you start to get um, kids and teachers with all kinds of respiratory illnesses, um, including asthma, which is the number one cause of disease-related absenteeism in the country um, for public schools. So it turns out that when you have asthma, and that means you have to be getting up to go to the nurse's office, or even worse, when you're missing school, you're not learning the lesson. It turns out that when a classroom has poor acoustics, and in that case, the vast majority of classrooms in this country have abysmal acoustics, um, when you can't hear your teacher, you don't hear the lesson, right? Um, when your classroom is uh, 95 degrees by the radiator in the dead of winter and 40 degrees um, in the seat furthest away from the radiator and you're either sweating or shivering, freezing cold, it gets in the way of your learning. Um, and there are so many other, other examples like that. The worst of schools literally have chunks of plaster falling from the ceiling, drips wow. coming down onto their test papers, um, wow. and, and all kinds of live things that aren't supposed to be hanging out in classrooms, running around beneath, scurrying beneath their feet. Thank you. You certainly have illustrated the point that you wanted to make. I'm, I'm uh, feeling that feeling in the feet that we get when we think about things running around our feet. Um, I, I want to just um, t pick up a phrase you said. You talked about um, the sustainability natives teaching yeah. a generation to take what they need, not just not what they want. Um, say a little bit more about uh, that aspect of your work, helping, helping create these sustainability natives. I mean, it goes back to what I said before about um, coming to understand that greening of schools wasn't just about better school buildings or even about, you know, things like um, better, better health for occupants, that it was also about bringing up this, this new generation of, of, of stewards, right? So what's the profile of a sustainability native? I mean, a sustainability native, um, you know, slips a, a note under their dad's um, bathroom door that says you've exceeded the five-minute shower limit. Um, the sustainability native, um, you know, walks when, when instead of driving. Um, they, um, you know, tease their, their mom about not bringing reusable bags to the grocery store. But moreover, they get to college and they tax themselves through student fees so as to be able to advance sustainability initiatives. Um, they make decisions that reflect an appreciation for their impact on 
um, not just on the earth, but on the people, uh, you know, on, across people living on, on that earth in sort of every decision that they make, whether it has to do with the type of product that they're buying at, you know, the drugstore, um, to the type of car that they're purchasing, to the type of apartment that they rent, to the type of job that they, that they end up pursuing. Got it. And is this phrase sustainability native, is that um, original to the Center for Green Schools or is that a bigger a bigger it, idea it, being used it, more broadly? It is um, original to, to us, so we hope that um, people will use it very broadly. I will say that we're borrowing it from, um, my mother is an educator and one of her favorite um, uh, authors, his name is Mark Prensky, and he coined the terms uh, digital immigrant and digital native, which has to do with you know this transition to a generation that was brought up on technology with technology incorporated into their lives. And he talks quite brilliantly, I think, about um, how much that has impacted um, the way that students learn and the imperatives that that suggests in terms of how it impacts the way that we teach. And that, to me, is very closely linked um, in a lot of ways to the sustainability conversation. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you where that click happened for me. I was talking Great. with the... Um, we have about a minute, Rachel. Okay, I'll be quick. I was talking with the, um, the, the editor-in-chief of the American School Board Journal who had asked us to contribute regularly with an article on green schools. And when we asked him why so much attention to the subject, he said that he felt as though um, green schools were the biggest thing to happen to education since the introduction of technology to the classroom. So in thinking about that ripple effect of technology, um, it helps us to understand just how impactful the introduction of sustainability into the education dialogue can really be. I'm talking with my guest, Rachel Gutter, and she has made the link between green schools and technology as the two biggest impacts on the future of schools uh, happening today. We're going to come back after this break, and we're going to learn more about Rachel and her vision. Thank you. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Tune in to Tom Says for practical solutions that you can use in your life. Whether it's information you can use for business, spiritual awareness, health, or personal issues, you'll want to listen to this life-changing program hosted by Tom Gerbic. Tom will also invite you to participate by calling in or sending emails. There's no topic that's taboo. With Tom's life experiences, you'll find that a weekly visit can be truly inspiring. Tom Says can be heard on the Voice America Variety Channel every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, with a weekly rebroadcast on the Voice America Business Channel. Did you know that the number one concern of American business is the ability to attract and retain qualified workers? Yet millions of qualified American workers with disabilities are sitting on the sidelines. Disabilities at Work Radio focuses on businesses and their workforce needs and also offers other topics of interest to people with disabilities, their families, and supporters. Join Disabilities at Work Radio every Wednesday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1 866 472 5790. 
That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. I'm talking to Rachel Gutter about green schools and their impact on education. Rachel, right before the break, you really made an important connection that green schools, along with technology, are potentially the two greatest impacts um, in our times in terms of the way schools are evolving and the future of schools. Um, I'd love it if you could just help us understand what is it about greening the schools that's so critical to the to the future what's the what's the big impact here right and and i'll say that um uh the the green schools i think are in in terms of how impactful they can be on education it's it's not that they'll be more impactful for instance than a wonderful teacher or innovations in curriculum it's that it's the third leg of the stool that we haven't been considering. We haven't been paying any attention to. So for for decades, we've been focused on the who and the what of education, but we haven't been thinking or considering the where. And what we see in these green school environments is that um, when that building functions as teacher, when uh, students are, are growing organic vegetables and learning about, you know, nutrition at the lunchroom table, when they're monitoring the energy um, that is being um, created on their roof from solar panels or from a wind turbine on campus and learning about uh, energy efficiency and renewable technology in a hands-on capacity, um, that these are, these are much more engaging ways for students to learn. I mean, we hear a lot about how students these days are wanting uh, project-based hands-on opportunities to, um, to, to, to access education. And I think that that's one of the, the, um, the, the, the most significant opportunities that a green school presents. Um, but I also think that the impact is about, you know, the, the ripple effect. It's about what happens when you um, light a fire in one of these students and they, you know, they, the, the, the kids at these schools, they become like little green armies, you know, and they go back to their, their parents um, and, and start to subtly impact the way that, that their parents are operating. They, they go back to their cousins, to their grandparents, and eventually to their children. Um, and I think that, that that's really about the long-term impact is um, being able to, to um, increase the awareness of our entire population um, because if you're, if you're not in school, um, you, you, chances are you're, you're having contact with, with, with someone who is. And, and we all, as, as parents, understand um, that our children bring these, these, their values home to us. Um, I once met a, a, a school board member who said her first introduction to sustainability was when her son, who's now fully grown, came back in kindergarten and, and as she was brushing her teeth, said, Mom, you, you can't leave the water on while you brush your teeth because my teacher says that that wastes water. And she says every day from, from then on, when I brush my teeth two times a day, I hear that voice in my head reminding me to turn the water off. Someone once told me that the greatest agent of social change in the community is the third grader. <laughs> and I could say as a parent that I have had that experience as well. You know, it's, it's, a, it's very motivating to have children who have, you know, who are promoting 
positive new habits within the family context. I, I often think that the family is the greatest unit of change. So thank you Absolutely. for making that, that connection, Rachel, to, um, to the impact of what these children are learning on how they, how they create a ripple effect at home. And as, hopefully as they grow, continue to help us lead the way in terms of learning how to be sustainable without suffering, you know, how to see it right. as a positive. So I'd love to talk about the future um, as, you, as you imagine working for the Center for Green Schools. Um, what really is the vision of the Center for Green Schools? Looking to the future, you know, let's, let's take it out 10, 15, 20 years. If all goes well, what will have been accomplished? What will, what will that future look like, Rachel? Vision for us. I mean, quite, quite simply, um, the, the, the vision is when the kindergartners of today have, or rather the kindergartners of 2010, when we launched the center, when they have kindergartners of their own, that we will have put ourselves out of business, um, that schools will be healthy environments that enhance learning, um, <clears throat> that they will be uh, energy efficient, water efficient, uh, that, that they will um, in, uh, in, in enhance um, the, the land that they sit on as opposed to taking away from it. Um, I think that a lot of the conversation in the education arena right now relative to green buildings has to do with, um, with net impact and net zero. In other words, um, how can we create schools that um, produce as much energy as they, as they require that um, you know have a closed loop water system where they're collect they're harvesting rainwater on site and being able to utilize that for all of their water needs um, that are not negatively impacting the health of the occupants uh, and that are um, you know ultimately um, uh, you know creating um, stewards who, who, who go out and, and, and reflect those practices in other areas of the community. So I think that that's kind of, that's, that's the vision. And I think that the, the second part of that vision has to do with what happens when these students grow up. And so one of the most exciting things that we see happening right now um, is a total shift that's happening on college and university campuses. New majors that are being offered sustainable business degrees, for instance, things beyond the traditional environmental um, engineering or, or envir- environmental studies, um, where we're really seeing sustainability being infused into every major across every aspect of the curriculum. Um, and so you can only imagine the types of business people that that creates, the type of marketing people that that creates, the type of um, you know, social entrepreneurs that that creates. And I think that that, that, that really is, is, is part two of the vision, is what happens when we start um, in, infusion, infusing our society um, with those types of citizens, and they ultimately grow up and take on leadership positions for our country and across the globe. You said that so well. And, you know, just yesterday I was having a a conversation with a high school senior who happens to be the captain of his football team, happens to be (laughs) head of the student council, and is looking at a program at a liberal arts college in environmental architecture that seems to me like one of those fields that is emerging um, from the emphasis on a sustainable future. And so I really, I really can see even in, you know, today's high school kids, the kinds of opportunities that you're describing. And it's exciting to think about the unfolding of that over time. Um, Rachel, you have, um, towards cities with mayors, you've met with former presidents, you've had lunch with the first lady, 
You've presented before thousands. You've dined with celebrities. You've interviewed congressmen. You've been featured on CNN. Did you ever dream that this work would take you in these directions? No. <laughs> quite, <laughs> quite, quite simply, no. Um, I think that uh, every day this, this job surprises me and opens up new opportunities. I think it's a testament to USGBC as an organization, but also um, just the, the exponential um, growth and accompanying exponential opportunities represented by the green building and sustainability movement. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I didn't. In fact, when I came to USGBC, I knew it was going to be a great ride, but I thought it would be a ride that would last for maybe two years max before I went on to um, graduate school. And, um, you know, at, at, at this point, I, I lecture at, a, at a, a several of the graduate schools that I would have wanted to apply to. Um, and, and so I, I think it's, it's, it's hard to, to imagine um, having a better set of opportunities and, more importantly, um, having more opportunities to be challenged and, and to grow than at the position that I have right now. Do you have a vision for your own career and your own life, Rachel, that you could articulate? You've done such a great job with the Center for Green Schools. What about your own life? I think my I have two primary goals at this point going forward. One is to um, continue to love this job and or any other job that I ever have as much as I love what what I'm doing today. I sort of worry that maybe I've gotten spoiled too early in life um, and and that it will be hard for me to, to find work that is as fulfilling. So that's my number one goal is to really try and um, uh, hold this up as, as a standard for the type of work I want to be doing for the rest of my life. Um, and I think number two is to have a family of my own um, and to, to um, like so many women who are trying to balance work and family to be able to strike that appropriate balance so that I can um, continue to have fulfillment in my career, but also be equally fulfilled by um, starting a family. Thank you for sharing that. That's, that's um, I don't know, it's sort of heartwarming actually to hear you talk about uh, recognizing the amazing opportunity you're having right now and as original and unique and extraordinary as it is, and at the same time really committing to have a, a lifetime of contributing in a way that speaks to your passion and speaks to what matters most to you. And then also um, to bring raising a family into this, to the, the vision of a full life, um, not just a life of impact through leadership, but actually a full and rewarding life. And I think that's, uh, it's moving and it's important for us all to, to, to think of vision in that way, leadership and life. Um, Rachel, I wonder if you would just share before we take another um, quick break, we have a couple of minutes. I'd love to know of the work you've been doing so far, what's been most meaningful for you? What, what's, is it those, that lunch with the first lady or, or what's really been most meaningful? No, I mean, I think that the, the most meaningful moments are when I actually um, get to take a break from, from most of that other work um, and, and get to spend some time with, with, with the kids and to understand um, you know, the, the, the way in which their, not just their education, but their lives have been improved, um, by, uh, by, by go attending a green school. Um, and I think that what becomes even more fulfilling 
And we rarely, I think, on my team, stop and take a breath to look back on what the impact has been so far. You know, we're always driving towards um, the next school, the next school district, the next statewide commitment. But being able to look back and know that this has already impacted billions and billions of dollars worth of construction and renovation um, money, in other words, schools that are being built healthier and more efficient, um, and that it that it over the course of the lifetime of these schools will impact hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of children. Um, so we've we've barely scratched the surface in terms of what we need to do. Um, but 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 even that scratching of the surface, when you start to apply it to the 20% of America that goes to a K-12 school every day, um, it adds up to really really big impacts. So what really matters most is the kids and the impact on them. And I, I hear that loud and clear in what you're saying. Um, Rachel, there are a lot of young people out there looking for opportunities right now. Actually, there are a lot of people out there looking for jobs right now, and jobs are scarce. When we come back from the break, I think based on your gutsy story, we want to hear your advice about how to create the, the, the opportunities that will lead to the career people really want. So we'll be right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Hi, this is Kate. I'm here with Rachel Gutter of U.S. Green Building Council's Center for Green Schools. And we have been talking about the extraordinary work that Rachel's doing to help us nationally create greener, higher-performing educational facilities. We've also been talking about Rachel's amazing career and how she got it started. And so we want to go to that, Rachel. We want to learn from you about 
any advice you have about how to move forward in the direction of your dreams, even though the prospects may not look great at the moment, where do you get started? What do you do? So I had the opportunity to um, think this through for a presentation that I did recently, and I uh, I created a list of, of, of 10 suggestions um, based on my own personal experience. So I, I'm going to give you, um, Kate, three of those. Um, the first is uh, to be willing to start at the bottom and work your way up, or um, for those who are further along in their careers, um, to be willing to take what might initially appear to be a step down um, or, or back. Um, because if you want to switch directions, uh, it typically requires some humility, and it, it'll be a, a steep learning curve that you should be willing to, um, to, to, to navigate. Um, because even in this economy, right, somebody's always hiring. It, it may not initially purport to be your dream job, but, um, but there are, I think, many different um, uh, aspects of, of what will create a, a dream job. And in this case, I think you're looking to um, be working on some sort of content or in some avenue that, that just truly inspires you. Um, so be willing to is, step back, step down, just step up to get that first Yeah, to know that, that careers aren't always linear. Um, and that, that ultimately, if you're, if you're, you know, following your, your heart or even your instincts, um, that that's a, um, that that won't, that, that won't take you in the wrong direction. Um, okay. the second one is very simple. It's to make yourself indispensable. Um, you know, make your, your, your boss, make your team, um, make your, um, organization, uh, wonder how they could ever live without you. Um, and in doing that, they will create new opportunities for you to be able to excel um, so, so long as you get to, as you stick around with them. Uh, and then that, the third... I want to pause, pause you on that one for a second. So the, the mindset that goes with make yourself indispensable sounds like the mindset of, you know, um, do, do whatever it takes, right? Do whatever's yeah. needed. Uh, don't be too... Uh, too confined by it's not in my job description, that kind of thinking, but actually do whatever's needed. Is that, is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, no job should be too small. I was um, going on a coffee run for my CEO a couple of weeks ago, and one of my interns said to me, isn't that an intern's job? And I said, yeah, right, as if I was going to let my intern be the one who gets to get coffee for my CEO. You know, it's, it's, I think it's just an attitude of, of knowing that those those small acts sometimes are as um, are as important as the the really large ones, and that ultimately the idea is really just to um, support in any way possible um, the, the 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 people who you work with um, and be kind of servants unto them, whether they're your direct reports or whether you are theirs. Okay, beautiful. Number three. Number three, three and fi- third and final, um, is I think the most important one, which is to, to seek out mentors in your life. I feel as though I've been so fortunate to have um, a number of different people who have been absolutely guiding the guiding light for me in moments when I wasn't sure what the next step was. Um, and I think that this is absolutely critical um, to have someone who can who can serve as a mentor. So my advice is always to identify someone who has your dream job or simply embodies the characteristics that you most want to emulate in your own career um, and reach out to them, ask them to, um, to, to be a mentor, and then to absolutely impress the hell out of them. Uh, because I, I think that um, 
one of the things that char- characterizes visionary leaders um, that, that serve as these mentors uh, is that they, they want, in fact, to see um, more people succeed. They want to be able to impart some of the advice that they have um, and, and help other people to find similar kinds of, of success and, and, and happiness. So um, be very intentional about who you reach out to um, and, and really, um, you know, like, like number two, make yourself indispensable to, to him or to her. You have a mentor. You have more than one mentor, as it sounds like. Can you just uh, tell us a, an example of how your mentor has been influential? Sure. Um, well, one of my mentors told me that if you ever want people to listen, you should put things into a list and never present more than three or fewer than three examples. So I just played that trick on you right now. Um, <laughs> so but, you did. But I guess, I guess a more tangible example is um, uh, one, of, one of my mentors um, was quickly um, launched from one point in her career to another where she um, was really a part of, you know, sort of a part of the, the leadership team and then went to being absolutely at the top of her organization. And <clears throat> she told me, in her case, she's, she's a, a consultant, um, and what fuels her most, um, as she explained to me, was spending time with clients. And so she made herself a promise when she stepped into the new position um, that even though it wasn't necessarily an integral part of her job, that she was going to make sure that she continued to fuel her own energy and passion by creating time to be back in that consulting role. And um, for me, that has been uh, an, an incredible bit of advice as I stepped into um, a new uh, leadership role as the director of the Center for Green Schools to make sure that I give myself the space and opportunity to do that which most energizes me, which, as you've heard me say, um, has to do with uh, spending time with, with children and being um, actually in the schools themselves. That's great. Thank you so much, Rachel, for sharing that. And we have indeed heard you say that that is what energizes you. It sounds like your mentor gave you some great advice to always keep the space in your work life so that you're tapping into what fuels you. And I, I, love, I agree with and love that advice. Um, I just want to say back for our listeners the three pieces of advice you gave. Can you just summarize them for us in a one, two, three? Sure. One is um, be willing to start at the bottom and work your way up. Two is to make yourself indispensable. And three is to find a mentor who has your dream job and wow her. Fabulous. Well, you have been a wow today, Rachel. I so appreciate you taking the time to be on our show to share your story, your vision, um, and the passionate work that you're doing, not not just for one organization, but actually for, for all of us nationally, for that 20% in schools and for the rest of us who are um, connected in one way or another to that 20%. Um, my guest today has been Rachel Gutter. She is the head of the Center for Green Schools. And I know you can uh, f- learn more about Rachel by, Rachel, what's the best way to find out more about you and your work? Um, visit the Center for Green Schools website at www.centerforgreenschools.org. Great. And if you'd like to sign up to our newsletter, uh, go to the Nebo Company website, nebocompany.com, and click on Visionary Leader to make that choice. You'll receive our newsletter. And Rachel, with your permission, I'd love to um, print your complete 10 tips on how to go about finding your dream job. Is that okay with you? Absolutely. 
Wonderful. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening today. I hope you'll write to us and tell us your feedback and ideas about the show, what you'd like to hear next. Next week, we'll be hosting two women who are senior partners at Booz Allen Hamilton. Susan Penfield and Karen Dayhut run major businesses for Booz Allen. Listen to them speak about how to succeed in business in a big way and lead extraordinary lives beyond work. Uh, Have a great week, everyone, and thank you, Rachel. Thank you so much, Kate. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.